Welcome back to the basement, everyone. Uh, you are now tuned in to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Thank you all for choosing to spend a little time with us. Going to make this really brief. Uh, the podcast was delayed this week because you're going to be hearing this on Wednesday. I'm actually taping this Wednesday morning uh, because the universe is full of surprises. Uh, initially, we were going to be reviewing the new album from Dave Rawlings Machine and a, a band named Future Birds, which you might have heard of. They have a new album, Hotel Parties, coming out. Uh, it's pretty excellent, but we're going to get to that at a later podcast. But uh, the universe said no. You're going to have to back that up. Uh, you are going to have to reconfigure uh, because Ryan Adams' 1989 was coming out. So he said, well, yep, we really want to do that. <coughs> so uh, that's what we did. Uh, taped it last night. Furious editing gets it to you this morning. Um, also, at the back end of this, uh, we're going to be playing you a new track from the album Southland Mission. Uh, that is by one Phil Cook of Megaphon, the Shouting Matches fame. Shouting Matches is one of my favorite albums from a couple years ago. Uh, sort of in that Justin Vernon universe, but he is, as you will hear on this track, and if you've heard the album, a man unto himself, uh, who is also, he's going to be in uh, D.C. at D.C. 9 this Friday, if you're listening to this on the release day. Uh, so that's your podcast. Uh I think we should just get to it then. Here you go. Episode 133 of Chunky Glass the Podcast. We're reviewing Dave Rollins' Machine, Nashville Obsolete, and Ryan Adams' 1989. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man. Nearly a two word review, just a shit sandwich. Yeah, it's good. Um, if you guys are ready, yep. yep. I can't. Uh, I can't actually believe we get to do this podcast. This is fucking <laughs> everything converged. Paul, you made it. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, the Tay Tay is uh, is following you, Eduardo. Welcome back to the basement. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a thing where we just reschedule these things every time you're going to be on. <laughs> At least this time it was only once. Yeah. Uh, but for a very good reason, you know, uh, just vibes and stuff to Patrick, his, him and his wife's dog died. So, uh, I think, sucks, I think, man. I think everybody so knows sad. we are pet lovers. In fact, Kenobi is at the uh, end of every podcast. So, yeah, right. uh, there you go. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about two albums. Uh, one, I think highly anticipated one. I don't even know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> anticipated or not. Before that though, we got a little news. Uh, these, it's not even, I think we can meld Prince as a dick and Jack White as a dick, maybe a little bit in this. Which, which one do you guys want to hit first? Well, they're both, they're both pretty dickish. They're from the Midwest. Yeah. And they're dicks. All right. So. Let's hit the, let's hit the Jack White because I think that's the, that's the quicker one first. Uh, it was a week and a half, two weeks ago, Jack White walks into a bar, <laughs> sees one of the Black Keys, decides to start a fight or try to start a fight, threatens him. I think this beef has been going back for uh, a couple of years. I don't know. Uh, the other guy in the Black Keys, what he was like, he's with Jack's ex-wife. Who, who knows what's going on? 
but this thing got all the publicity, and yet, you know, and clearly it paints like Jack White is a huge dick. I mean, I don't think anybody's surprised by that either. Um, why? Hey, I guess now I'm like, why are we talking about Jack White? Why do you think people like give a shit about Jack White? <laughs> That's what I'm getting for anymore. It seems to me that people who really people who like his music really like his music to a sure. level that I mean, it's a level of fandom that surprises me about. Uh, like if he were really talented, I sure. would still be surprised by the level of fandom that. Um, is, I, I think he is really talented, and I like a lot of his. Uh, I like a lot of his stuff. I haven't liked his. Do you his, like his earlier stuff with the black keys, or do you like his? Stuff? Well, you mean you mean white stripes? White stripes. White stripes. White stripes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's get let's get all these color. Well, that, that's the problem yeah. is that he was in the black keys and they kicked him out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now we're really starting shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's start that rumor. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I love the white stripes. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I like his stuff with uh, with the dead weather. What about like, his last album? I didn't like his solo. Right. I don't. Like, I haven't liked any of his solo albums. Um, but I. But I also really respect what he's doing with, uh, with uh, with his record label mm-hmm. and a lot of the folks that he supports. Like I think Jack White is generally good for music, especially a certain type of music. Yeah. And I'm glad he's around. I think he's a dick though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's just like uh, it's funny. We were talking with Father John about Father John Misty a little bit uh, before we turned on the mics, and it's this thing that like. Uh, to my mind, his I don't think he's really produced anything of merit since The White Stripes. Uh, I know people like praised his last album. I mean, it's boring crap. Uh, and yet people hold him up as this like pinnacle of rock and roll, as if there's never been another rock star. And I, I don't get it. And when I see him doing stuff like this, I'm sort of like, don't do that, people. Well, he tries to he tries to do some things that I think are are praiseworthy in terms of kind of a collaborative yeah. uh, environment. He's, you know, certainly committed to, doesn't he own like a vinyl press now so he can get his releases out on time? Yeah, I mean, Third Man like Records. So. Yeah, so, um, so you know, he, he he falls into a category of artist for me where it's sort of like, um, I'm trying to think of someone else who would fit into this category, maybe like Lena Dunham, where uh, I can appreciate what they're doing and what they stand for. Right. Um, and, you know, and I can see that they're a net positive without yeah. really appreciating their output a whole lot and that might be a limitation of of mine you know it's not certainly doesn't speak to any uh i'm right. apologizing more to lena dunham than i am to jack white when i say that but, right uh, i mean well, you don't need to apologize to either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> i mean but i mean hilariously it's like so this happened and then i get an official press release released from his uh, prh and then another one saying oh no they've made up and you know, right, I'm, right. I'm not the cynical tech person that like is like, oh, this is all orchestrated, which a lot of people are just like, yeah, you did that. But I mean, when it gets down to the minutia where you have your PR person, like essentially tracking or like live emailing, tweeting, whatever every move you make, uh, I mean, sort of. I, I like to see him produce some good output, something I want to hear. I mean. Uh, he's entertaining as shit. If he did, he, it would be a title exclusive, probably. Right, that's a perfect segue. We're getting to that. So, if you know, if, if something like that happened, but in the meantime, uh, I guess you know, maybe Jack White chill a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, if there is a serious beef between him and the Black Keys, I, I don't know. Uh, what's the uh, current hip wrestling event pay per view? I mean, get him in the ring, John Stewart. Have him, have him fight Billy Corgan. Yeah. 
Oh, fuck yeah. No, I want to, I want to see him fight Ronda Rousey because that would go well. Yes. Yes. So, uh, so I know. just, I just found on a vulture, a comprehensive list of all of, uh, Jack White's beefs <laughs> okay. going back to 2002. Right, starting with Ryan Adams in 2002. Ryan Adams or Brian? Yeah. Uh, Ryan Adams. Because it's Ryan Adams. That guy's really <laughs> dick. That's <laughs> <laughs> just kicking a guy while he's down. So uh, there's Ryan Adams, and then there's uh, journalists and MP3 players. That was 03. Hmm. Um, someone in the band Blanche, Jason St- Solsteimer. Okay. George Rocca in the Seattle Film Festival in 04. His own name in 05. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Childish in 06. Vegans in 2010. The Guinness World Book of Records in 12. Meg White, Lady Gaga, and Twitter all that year, I think. Uh, it's, a, it's a long, it's a comprehensive list. He, uh, the man does not want for beef. He's a man, he's a man with beef. Uh, <laughs> Jack White, you know, the Pope's in town. And we got to mention, like, we are dead. We are ground zero of the apocalypse <laughs> right now. Um, you know, come, you know, we'll hug you or something like just fucking hug it out, man. Uh, but, uh, speaking of his exclusives on title, which I don't, was he part of the title launch? No. Uh, I think he was one of the original partners. Was he? Yeah. Uh, Prince was. That his, was kind of where they were getting their indie cred from, I think. Yeah. His new album is a hit and run as like volume one or anything landed with a, a purple thud. Uh, it, um, it is an interesting strategy, I guess, that they had where they're not even going to release it for sale. You couldn't buy a copy of this. You had to subscribe to a streaming service, uh, namely Tidal. I think the exclusive was about for two weeks. Uh, in the meantime, uh, it basically took over the pirate sites, and everybody who wanted the album got it mm-hmm. uh, without having to pay for it. So, so all five people? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, you know, with that, uh, you know, we're back to title talk, which you talked a lot about it, but, but these kind of uh, release strategies, I mean, especially like, I mean, I say especially like anybody here cares what Win Butler says, but uh, you know, we've, we've predicted title would fail, but man, like this is getting, this is getting deep. They got they got a lot of venture capital tied up in it. Is that is that all it is? I that would be what I what I suppose. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna shutter a business that had that big of a launch and that many names attached to it this quickly after they start. But they can afford to. They can also afford to keep going and see if they can get some traction. Mm-hmm. And in this culture where we, I think we all know that at some point the streaming services are going to consolidate. Because right now we're at like, yeah, I think right now we've reached about peak fragmentation. This is like the the typical trend in electronics and communications businesses where everybody jumps on an idea, a bunch of capital comes into it, everybody tries to differentiate themselves in the marketplace, and then they start merging. And you're in a, you're, rather than shutter it and say we're taking a total loss, you're in a much better spot to say we're going to, if you've got the capital to keep operating, to say, let's keep going and let's see if A, we can get to a spot where this, makes sense through exclusives, letting some of the bad PR at first, like even out, you know, th- that cycle is well behind you. You can still, you can still work through, especially since Apple took over the bad PR uh, streaming yeah. service since then. Like which, now, which by the way, I, we, we've actually talked about this award. Right. I actually like look Apple music. Look the way that the, the way that this goes right now, if through a couple of uh, exclusives 
and uh, some interface redesigns or something like that, by next year, a year from their launch, they see a subscriber uptick, then there's a whole cycle of the title comeback with, you know, Jay-Z on the front cover of various music magazines. Right. Like, and then their valuation goes up. Right. And if they want to, they can sell to somebody else and make their money. I mean, I, I just, I, I get the feeling, like, this is so bad for music, like any of this, not the strip. People are railing against like how much to get paid and stuff. And I was like, but when you somewhere, somebody who has control of a, a young artist album is looking at that and they're a fucking idiot. And they're like, well, this is how you do it. You see what Prince did. This is how you do it. And what ends up happening is you have these people who've like worked their ass off, I think to get to this point and then are put in this position and they're going to get dropped and you're never going to hear them. Yeah. But that's, uh, look, that's just bad management and bad consider bad consideration by the artists. Right. Like, this is not the seventies. I don't feel too bad for artists who make bad decisions based on bad management because no, no, right no, no, now no, no. that's not right, what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, you've got total control. We've talked about yeah. so many artists on this program that are doing things differently yeah. that are doing things themselves there are more independent routes to getting your music out there than ever mm -hmm. before so if you're if your entire thought process is either well i'll let somebody else make my decisions for me or well prince did it so this must be good for me insert indie rocker x right. that no one's ever heard of then you know you fail because you made bad choices yeah, so ultimately it's just on them. Yeah, I guess. Well, and there's nothing in, you know so wrong with title that couldn't be fixed by probably just hiring the right business people. I mean, it sounds like, or at least, or or or, or maybe this is kind of their their mythology of, of why they're failing is that they're all too artistic to really have the business side figured out. Well, that yeah. was Wynn Butler's excuse, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I don't fully buy, but it just seems like if you bring in, you know, if you bring in someone who can say, you guys need a business plan, you need, you know, where did $20 mm -hmm. a month come from? Why would someone pay double what your competition right. offers well, for, 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 for a, high, for a for the C high fidelity? Right. And for a C plus Prince album. Yeah. You know? I mean, but hilariously, they actually then, you can buy it now, but you buy $25. it a CD <laughs> yeah. from a streaming service. Yeah. Like, and, it's, so, and, it's, and it's 25 bucks. Right. And so yeah. at this point, it becomes exactly like a label. And it is exactly like there's there's no difference in this. I I guess, you know, really, for me, it comes down to like exclusives, I think, are going to tear this shit apart. Because, again, uh, you know, to put it bluntly, you put all you put stuff in four different places. The people who want it are going to get it from the one place they can, which is the high seas. Well, that's mm -hmm. that's true. But it's also true that we have not seen an exclusive that's actually going to drive traffic. Like we've seen, well, we, that too, we've seen names, yeah. but you're basically, you're getting legacy players releasing stuff because this is actually better for them. I'm sure they're getting paid a lot of money off the, off the top right mm -hmm. there, right here. So it makes sense for them. What's going to be the real test is if, you know, a Kanye or a Kendrick gives like, Gives an exclusive exclusive which window, do. which and and when that happens, then you're going to see what the what the market test is. But right now, it's like, okay, I mean, look, Prince is it, him releasing a new album now is basically the equivalent of the Rolling Stones releasing a new album. Everybody wants to listen to the old stuff. Yeah. Nobody cares about the new stuff. Yeah, uh, there's going to be some diehard fans who are either going to follow or pirate, and that's and that's it. It's it's the hot new artists, the ones who actually have a chance of. You know, selling real albums, driving right. streams across multiple platforms for a, for an extended period of time. Those are the test cases, and we haven't seen that yet. Okay, 
So what would that, so I'm trying to think because Kevin and I had talked about this briefly the last time I was here, which is that, you know, I, I tended to think that like if a Bruce Springsteen or someone said, you know what, we have 20 plus years of soundboard recordings going back to the late seventies. So I didn't do my math right there, but, um, and they're going to be licensed exclusively to one of the three streaming apps that that would, that that might move the needle because, right. Because that would attract people who probably aren't even in the streaming game really. Right. Or they're in the freemium game. Yeah. But but the thing is that I, I see exactly what you're saying. But for somebody like Springsteen, it's hard to say somebody like Springsteen because there is just <laughs> Springsteen. Right, right, right. But if Springsteen did that, he would have no incentive to put it on a streaming service right. because he could do what Louis C.K. is doing and put it on his own website and say, here's what I'm going to charge for access to it. And virtually the same number of people who would be interested in joining a streaming service for just that would go straight to his website mm-hmm. and pay him directly for which the is, access. Which is what they're doing now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're big enough to move the needle at this point, you're but, basically big enough to get people right. to follow you wherever you want but them I, to that, go. But actually I disagree with that. I think like any – people – Tend to like to uh, um, aggregate their stuff in the thing, so that's that's why iTunes is a big thing. That's why mm-hmm. Apple Music was has apparently a hit. It works, and you know it won me over in a large sense. So Apple uh, Music works because it's on everyone's device. I know, I know, <laughs> but that's actually, that's actually the insidious thing. Well, not if, everyone. If I had to download a, a separate app, yeah, you know, Google Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but if I had to download a separate app, then it wouldn't have worked. But because I can, honestly, it was Siri that turned me on to that. I, because God I, damn it. It's because it's, it's, it's the Apple integration. I know. Mad geniuses. I know. Yep. It is, but, but it worked. And, it, and so whatever, but if I have to go... Like so, I subscribe to that. I actually subscribe to audio. We'll never let audio down. We're never leaving you audio. <laughs> uh, but if I then have to go to Bruce Springsteen's site, or say REM does a bunch of bootlegs, or say Hall and Oates does a bunch of bootlegs that I can only get on their site, like I am not inclined to do that. <laughs> I am just not Boston. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they could pay for the server hosting. With it. They oh, man. That. Come on. <laughs> I didn't mean to set you up like that. Um, but, but yeah, but my point is, like, I don't see that working. Because I, I, I consider myself a pretty, like, good consumer and, like, pretty rational consumer on what I want. I, I agree. I only think it would work for a handful of artists. And I think that's what we were talking about is, like, any artist that you're saying is like, because Hollow Notes isn't going to move the needle on a streaming they're, service either. They're going to move the needle on everything, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, come on. When, when you're talking about artists like that, you're talking about like the big. You're talking about Springsteen. You're right. talking. Okay. You're talking about like. Yeah, I'll, I'll go a step below and say like, if the Rolling Stones put out a bunch of these sorts of like B sides, somehow found stuff in the vault, something like that, you're going to get some hardcore Rolling Stones fans that will go to their website. I don't think you're going to draw more people to a particular streaming service by hosting them there instead of hosting them somewhere separate. Like, if you're a big enough fan, you're going to follow it for yeah. those big guys. And if not, then, you know, I don't. I just don't think there's much of a delta between the intense but not that intense fan to make it, to make it worth it for them to do something like that on the streaming service. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, so, like, flip that around, though. Like, say a, a perfect world where there are no labels and every artist, like, essentially has to, like, live and die on their own merits. Mm-hmm. And they can, they're free to hire, like, publicity and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything is available from separate artists. Do you see that as a, as a better 
option to any of this? Oh, no. At that point, like, that's, I mean, that's, like, an absurd slow But that's, that's all a card. I mean, if but you that's, could... But that's not what it would be. Like, then they would cons- they would reconsolidate and make de facto labels right. again. Like, right. there's a reason that these sorts of things exist, but some people get big enough where they can transcend it. And I really do think that's what you've seen with Radiohead and what you've seen with with Louis yeah. C.K. Like, they're the rare category that's big enough where they don't need anybody else. Like, people will actually follow them and go to their sites. Yeah. The Louis C.K. thing was amazing. Yeah. And and Radiohead, you know, when they when they did it, like, when they did it within Rainbows and yeah. they're like, yeah. come to our site, pay what you want. There's also these other collector things that you can right. buy on top. We're going to see how this works and it worked great for them. Right, right. But, I mean, I guess, what, I guess my question was, is that – work out and there's a lot of people are saying like it only works for them because it's big but i mean you also have to talk about like your expectations as an artist so does that work out for the person who um you know the local artist who's just like happy if they sell 100 copies of their album i think it works if you're very big or you're very small like it's it, like it's, i'm talking about Bandcamp. yeah no it's it's right. every it's everything in between where it doesn't work i think like if you're small enough where you're really like i'm trying to break in i don't want to pay the i don't want to deal with the overhead of like other labels and things like that, but I got enough mm. people from my local following that are gonna they're gonna buy this, then that probably works really well. It's the you know, it's the neighborhood superstar model right there. It's the modern version of selling CDs out of the trunk of your car. Um and for some and that works when you're very small. And when you're very big and you've already got an organization, yeah. and you've got other people to handle this, then you don't need all that stuff. But it's that vast majority that are in the yeah. middle that still need this this sort of like management and consolidation. <sighs> It's fucking, it's fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I say. Um, all right, well, that's chapter what one hundred and seventy six <laughs> of us trying to solve the music industry. Yeah. We're not, we're not getting there. Um, but tune in next week. Tune we'll in try next week. We'll try again. <laughs> uh, right now, let's talk about some albums. Just like a free, I got there early. I couldn't wait. I made a friend or two along the way You want the details, but what can I say? There's the ballerina, the foreign cartel The opera singer, the southern belle They've all got some That song is The Weekend, and it's off Dave Rawlings' Machine new album, uh, Nashville Obsolete. Dave Rawlings' Machine, I don't, we haven't talked about on the podcast, because I don't think they've had an album out since 2009. Um, so, 
like if you're a folk fan, you you damn well know who Dave Rollins is. Uh, if you're not so much, uh, I, let me enlighten you. Uh, he's one of the best musicians living on the planet. Uh, his work with Jillian Welch and with pretty much everybody is uh, stellar, untouchable, indisputable. Um, he is, to me, one of the most fascinating guitar players alive. Uh, he can take uh, an utter failure of a mistake live and somehow steer his way out of it. I haven't. I have never seen that stuff uh, happen. Uh, as I mentioned uh, before, he's he's partnered with uh, Jillian Welch at least musically. Uh, they had an album in uh, which. What year was that? Uh, well, I had it up, man. <laughs> the first one. Yeah, friend of a friend in two thousand nine. Yeah. Uh, was a, a, an upbeat affair. In fact, had the uh, Ryan Adams song "To Be right. Young Is To Be High." Um, he penned that, and he is actually uh, heard arguing with Adams at the beginning of Ryan Adams' first solo album, which sort of brings a little synergy to this podcast. Um, they, like I said, they've been gone a while. They actually I've seen them a few times uh, performing at like Newport Folk Festival. They really don't come out, and then all of a sudden, uh, earlier this year, they announced Nashville obsolete. Um, it is uh, on the whole, as you heard from that. Uh, seems to be a slightly more refined sound that Clyde enjoys, <laughs> and um, yeah. But uh, Paul, actually, because I don't know your opinion of uh, Dave Rollins at all, I don't think we ever talked about him. No, we have not. No. So uh, you were listening to this day, and what were you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of surprisingly enjoyed this album, and I say surprisingly just because this is not. In my usual music wheelhouse, uh-huh. I venture this direction sometimes, but I, I'm not up on it. But no, it's uh, it's really good, refined, like true Americana uh, style. Not all this like new T R E U true T R E U true Americana. <laughs> no, but uh, I maybe that sounds a little simplistic, but um, it's nice when you. Uh, hear people who really know what they're doing not yeah. trying to mix it up too much and just saying like no this is the sound we're going for and then just you know executing it beautifully i get the i get the impression from this that they knew exactly what they were doing going into it mm-hmm. and they're like yep nailed it done yeah so like, like, knocked it out in an afternoon <laughs> yeah. even though it probably wasn't no 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 they just, there's there's more production on this than than you do in an afternoon but i think they listen to it and they're like yeah, that's what we wanted to do. All yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about those strings for a second? Sure. Because that's, I mean, is that... Those are those are actually arranged by David Rollins. I imagine they were. He's uh, He's got a reputation for being really meticulous and finicky in the studio, I mm-hmm. think, from what I've from what I've read. So I, I would have assumed, you know, I, I know they're not um, incredibly complex. Like, it's not, like, it doesn't sound like an album that, like, Van Dyke Parks came in and put a bunch of fussy stuff down on. Um but they're just so tasteful, and it's not something that we've really. I think there might be one track on front of a friend that has some strings on it. Yeah, uh, toward the end, but it's not. Bells of Harlem. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they're like they're everywhere, like everywhere in this album, and they just sound fantastic. I mean, it's just so tasteful. Yeah. yeah. And, it's it's hard for me like to. Um, uh, friend of a friend is was a it, it's a jolt, um, in in the same way because like you said, Paul, they they know what they're doing and they execute on it perfectly. I, I don't know many other people that can actually do this, but that is uh, um, more like Grand Parsons, more like rebellious and stuff. This um, is none of that. <laughs> it, but, it, I mean, it's, you know, what, seven, eight years later. Yeah. 
uh, everybody's gotten older, and it, and you feel I think that age in it, but it it weirdly doesn't. Uh, it works in exactly the same way, uh, which I, I don't know if that means like as a listener, like me or other fans, like have aged with it and whatnot. But it's um, because it is very produced, which I, I honestly like the front of front is so loose. Yeah. Um, even though that is very produced, I mean, there's nothing that he does that is like accidental. Um, and it's a type of production that I, normally you you would maybe shy away, or I would shy away from, but man, when it hits, it fucking like it's ridiculous. Well, they just have. I mean, Rawlings and Welsh just have this, you know, uncanny mm-hmm. ability to harmonize, and that's been going on for almost twenty years now, right? Yeah. So, because um, I think Revival was like late nineties, um, and. Um, they really um, seem to have been able to distill. I think there was there was a stretch maybe in the mid two thousands where they didn't release anything. Yeah, and um, there was I think the album before that hiatus sort of was was that Soul Soul Traveler or something mm, like that. I don't know. What was, about, but we can yeah. put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but and and it seemed like they were a little bit exhausted and they were just kind of you know there 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 was like this original fierce darkness on them. Um, Hell Among the Yearlings, especially, which yeah. is one of my all-time favorite Absolutely. albums. Um, it's one of the all-time best albums ever made. That's yeah, why. It's I just, mean, that's fantastic. And, and, and that's actually what I'm not talking about, not to interrupt, but like that type of like objectively, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is it. But I mean, I mean, these guys were how I actually. So you know, that album led me to T Bone Burnett, who I didn't really yeah. know at that point in like '99. Um, and then, you know, I was kind of, I remember rifling through some CDs at the Birchmere when I saw them there in like 99 and there was, and I pick up this random CD named Heartbreaker with, and that, uh, Adams and Gillian Welch were on the opening track I saw and I thought, yeah. oh, I should, I should check this out since I'm yeah. here. Um, and, uh, so they've actually taken, they, they've like introduced me to like this whole other world of music right, that I didn't right. even know was, was out there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think here he's just firing on all cylinders, and there's and there's a really good way in which he's kind of uh, referencing and picking up on a lot of the sort of um, maybe almost sort of like Rolling Stones and uh, kind of some of the sad like lonely Graham Parsons in a hotel room yeah, kind of yeah. stuff like that that vibe. I, I yeah, I hadn't thought about Rolling Stones actually. Yeah, but um, Girl with the Faraway Eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know that song, Paul? No, that's amazing. Maybe we'll tack it on this. Um, yeah, I, it's, there's just this like compendium of, of the history of stuff and, and it's, it's hard to, um, I mean, even if you look at like a song like The Trip, uh, you know, it, it's pulling like Van Morrison as Madame George, you know, that like right. it's, it's in that vein and, and it goes on for what, like Ten? seven minutes, yeah. seven minutes. Um, I think what we should do is play a song right now. We're going to play actually the last song on the album, uh, Pilgrim. Uh, you can't go home. Uh, this is a long one, so uh, settle in and uh, enjoy. If uh, here we go. I won't get drunk no more, no more. The old refrain it shines with use while you sop your bread in barley. Keep it. 
Last song on that album, Pilgrim, You Can't Go Home. Um, you're saying that it gets so important uh, later on in the song, the mandolin just comes in. Yeah, I just, I just love just that mandolin. It's, it's, and it's not, um, I don't think it shows up on the album until this song, and it just feels like this very cool, refreshing, bright sound uh, yeah. that just livens up the ending. Also on this album was uh, Paul Cowart, uh, Cowart of uh, Punch Brothers. Right. Uh, and so it seems like, and uh, there's Willie Watson, Brittany Haas, who I don't know, Jordan Tice, who he plays with, but seems to be people like sort of congregate on this when Dave Rawlings throws up the uh the Rawlings bat signal or something. It's, yeah, it's a it's a it's, bit of a super group at it's, a, yeah, it's yeah. it's time to come play. Um you know, that I don't I don't think listening to that, you know, if you just listen to that song, it's like it, it's not like man, like I was saying, it's not like that's exciting. It's just like Wow, that's good, and I and I don't know any albums that we've actually talked about this year that are necessarily like that, except maybe. And I'm not comparing this to to Pimp a Butterfly, but like you get that same sort of like 
yeah, this is all right. Now, Paul's, Paul's just like, gonna be like <laughs> that analogy did not work yeah, for, no, Paul, I, for, the, for the listeners. I, uh, <laughs> I would like to say that I do not sign on to that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the analogy I'm trying to make is that where it's something that is just so well done and so like perfectly composed. You you know, like you're, you're not feeling it? No, you're frowning. No, I mean, look, I, I understand. I think it's a it's really well composed, but come on, you know, you're talking about like a very different degree of difficulty and level of intent, I think. So I, I'm not gonna go that direction. How so though? How so? Th- this is not on the same level as the Pippa Butterfly. By well, that's what that's what I was saying. It's not, it's not. Like think of it this way. If you're if you're watching the Olympics and you're going with a routine that somebody's judging, they've got a base <laughs> level of points, and then you get points based on execution and on the difficulty of your routine. Explain like, this to me, Paul. This routine, <laughs> the, the difficulty of this routine is far below. This is not a routine that's going to win you a gold medal right here, right. even if you execute perfectly. Okay. So, I see. I I I think there is. I think maybe what you're getting at, Kevin, is the feeling that. Uh, Whoever's at the helm of the vehicle for the album, you just absolutely trust them to make the right choice exactly. and not to kind of let you down. That's fine. Eduardo but, understands, but it's Paul, a, what the fuck? But yeah, they're not. It's like driving, you know, it's like driving a Formula One race in Monaco versus like doing ovals in NASCAR or something. There's a <laughs> or Nashville. There's a right. But let's find some more obscure analogies for this right here. Yeah, what else? What else works for people? We've done Olympics. We've done <laughs> automobile we've done sports. Butterfly. We've done automobile sports. I, you know, it, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I got nothing. So, <laughs> so, um, here I can, I can make it a little bit weird. Uh, the, um, I kept thinking about the, uh, the Neil Gaiman book, American Gods while I was listening to this for oh, some wow, reason. Okay. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's the references to like Cairo and the last, like there's this kind of like, uh, mystical side to it. Um, right. that just really, I think was kind of totally in line with that. But I mean, I have nothing to, it's not like he's mentioned it in interviews, sure. but, um, but I just kept thinking about that book while I was listening to this. Are you saying David Rawlings is sort of mystical? He's a seer. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he can. He sort of is. <laughs> like, did you know you can get this, uh, album in a deluxe package, the, uh, jean jacket package? I did see that. The <laughs> denim. Yep. Yep. The denim package. <laughs> Stop frowning, Paul. <laughs> I know that's good radio right there. My facial <laughs> yes. expression. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the denim package, uh, I forget what else was in there, but I mean, it was really, um, hel- to me, hilariously, like either authentic or just way out of touch. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I've, I'm, I'm glad you said that word authentic. Cause it's almost, I mean, uh, you know, we should probably just kind of deal with that in terms of okay. this music, because that's something that Welsh and Rawlings have often been held to account for that. They're sort uh-huh. of like, I mean, and, and I don't think they are because I think this genre is just an idiom and it's legitimate to, you know, to use it, um, particularly if you're doing it respectfully the way they are. But they did get accused quite a bit of kind of musical carpetbaggery early right, on in their right. in their career. And every article about them mentioned the fact that she was raised in L.A., you know, they met right. at Berkeley College of Music. He's from Providence. The, you know, uh, despite what the music sounds like, they weren't raised because in like a holler. determines on whether or not you're good at a certain <laughs> right, 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 whether you're allowed to. I'm a, I'm a Brazilian who loves a banjo. So by that logic, right. you know, I'm a... You know, I'm just as culpable. So right, yeah, yeah. It's um, actually that I've shied away from using the word authentic in this because I don't, um, I, I don't want to recommend it to somebody like that. If you want, like, authentic, you know, Doc Watson, like, go go back 
you know, even the Carter family, old stuff. Like, go back to that. Like, this is Dave Rollins' machine and Dave Rollins and Jimmy Walsh period are sort of their own thing. And it's it's sort of a modern thing, even though a lot of times you say that and you're like, oh, well, they're updating in some way. I don't think they are. Right. But uh, you don't get a song that references um, essentially Van Morrison. Right. They sound just Astral Weeks. Right. From somebody who's a traditionalist. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's there's um there's any question that that they are very much aware of the musical tradition uh. um and and kind of the heritage of what they're doing and they clearly like some of that and um but I don't think that there's that you know, you have a litmus test for who's allowed to play a certain style of music and right. and who isn't. So So Paul, what are you gonna do with it? Um, I think it's a buy. Yeah, yeah, nice. So it's like it's one of these in the middle. It's like it was I was between a very strong stream or a very soft buy. So I think it tilts to the buy side. All right, Eduardo, definitely buying. All right, uh, wow, this is gonna be rare. The rare triple buy. What the hell is going on? Um, yeah. So uh, get out and listen to some Dave Rollins machine. Get on trains without knowing where they're going. Someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's teacher going down the road. The body and a handkerchief and a hatchet from an unspeakable crime. But there's no one waiting for them. There's no judgment down the line Banjos ring and chickens squall And little babies crow and Winter leaves and spring unwind and Someone give that man a wedgie. Um, this <laughs> Ryan Adams interpreting the Taylor Swift classic album, 1989, which, Paul, we tried to torture you, you with last year. But yeah. it, got, it almost got you. Uh, well, you did really. make me watch a couple of the videos. I did make you watch a couple so. of videos. <laughs> and now this pops up. You're, mm-hmm. not, you're not entirely foreign to Ryan Adams. I don't know if you're a fan or not. Uh, no, I wouldn't call myself a big fan. I like, uh, you know. Who doesn't like Heartbreaker? Heartbreaker, but, uh, Cold Roses is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, but yeah. like, I, I, he's a guy that I, I respect the talent. Yeah. And I sometimes hear something like from his later output that I'm like, oh, this is good. 
But I'm not someone who goes out and buys the albums. Yeah. Right when well, there's a lot of albums in your... I mean, I don't think... Yeah. There, are. <laughs> there are. And there are a lot of bad albums, to be clear. Right. <laughs> like, um, Doesn't hold me back from Bob Pollard. <laughs> <laughs> um, a plus. Uh, oh, we just got an email in. He's got a new album out. <laughs> um, I get one of those every day. I know. <laughs> I know. It's weird. Um, so earlier this year, he, he announced uh, his love for uh, 1989, which was Taylor Swift's uh, ode is not the right word, but she set out to break from the country mode. She moved to New York uh, and said, I want to make an album honoring the 90s or the 80s because she loved 80s music. Uh, although we'll get into a little of that, how much you can love 80s music when you weren't alive. Um, but um, this album was a hit. Her, her Taylor Swift's album is one of the biggest albums of all time, period. Uh, and it is because... Uh, I think despite what any haters, Paul, of Taylor will say, there are some phenomenal fucking pop songs on this. Well, clearly, whatever the haters say, she can just shake it. Shake it off. Yes. yes. Okay. I mean, you put it on the T. I had to at least take a shot at it. <laughs> Which shows that you've heard it. Or at least you've heard it. Well, who right? hasn't heard it? I, I mean, geez, it's, it's omnipresent. Yeah. Um, so when Mr. Adams, who is, uh, you know, he... Publicly, it was just like, well, me and the lady are splitting uh, back to somewhat erratic ways. Although, like, he's like, I'm sober now, so I'm going to do this and just all this work. He's put out, like, metal EPs. Like, he he's in a phase where he does what he wants. Yep. And, um, you know, he's a very prolific guy. I think Eduardo, you and I would both question, like, whether or not, like, he should be that you prolific. Some, you can hold some stuff back. Um but he said that he loved this album, and he said uh, he was making this, and then it was like, haha, funny, funny, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it turned out like, wait, what the shit? He's actually doing this. Uh, and then last uh, week, they said Monday. Right. So we actually postponed the podcast for right. uh, for a little bit, just because because the world stops for Taylor. The Swift, world stops so. for Taylor Swift yeah. and Ryan Adams. Um, first off, can you guys? I I can't, to my mind, think of anybody who's actually done something like this fish okay really they, but, but they, in a live the, setting the they, co- they covered the whole white album but in a live setting i think they, didn't they put that out at some point no, i mean you're talking to like yeah no no they have they have released all of their halloween shows yeah. okay. um but, but, what, but what? i think that i think i think one of the differences is like you know there have been projects around covering an entire album mm-hmm. i don't know that there's ever been this big of a gap between like the original product and its cultural import and the person doing it and the amount of time elapsed since the original release. Cause right. it actually, I mean, 1989 came out 11 Last, months ago. Yeah. 11 right? months ago. So yeah, it was like mid October or something. Yeah. Um, so I'm not at, like that to me seems kind of unprecedented. It would be like, I don't know. Uh, it would be like uh, someone coming out and doing pimp a butterfly in a month. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> Godspeed, sir, to you who wants to try that. Uh, there we go. That's the one I was thinking of. What? Um, 30 projectors. They, co- they covered Black Flag's Damaged. Oh, no. So, so, oh, no. Kind of not the same thing. <laughs> um, I love so, 30 projectors. So, so, so as, we, as we dig, as we peel this onion of, of this, this thing, uh, do we have a problem with that? Should we have a problem with this? That that two pop stars, one says, I really admire your work, and I admire it to the point that I want to completely recreate it in my own style. Like, like that's, you know, 
technically going on the premise that it's sort of unprecedented, especially it's, given it, the it's time not. Frame. I mean, there, there have been other groups that have done sure, it. Sure, there have been people yeah. who covered albums, but yeah. not like he said. You know, 1989 came out 11 months ago, right. and it's also it's, it's still huge. in the charts. Yeah, no, I get you. There's going to be two There's, 1989s in the charts come Monday. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Right. That's weird. So, 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 I don't know. What's a uh, like if someone if uh, someone covered Thriller mm-hmm. in the spring of '85, right, or something, right. right? Huey Lewis. No, that's not a good. That would be amazing. <laughs> I would I would buy that. Um, but like if a smaller indie-ish. Well, take take know, it back. To, take like, it back to classic rock. Tom uh, Petty. No, if Tom Petty covered Thriller. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Further back. So, yes. so, so if you look at like the uh, Beach Boys and. Uh, the Beatles always had a little bit of rivalry, mm-hmm. but when Sgt. Pepper's came out, like the basically the, the the night after, whatever, Jimi Hendrix shows up and plays their whole fucking right. album and completely right. reinvents it That's and right. says, "This is you know this is." It. But nobody has a recording of right. that, right? Um, so in that sense, like maybe it is an unprecedented. I mean, this is you know musicians admire other musicians. Uh, Beach Boys were always in a race to outpace the Beatles. Uh, they, if you have seen the movie uh, Love and Mercy, which just came out, terrible movie, but it does highlight that. So get, you get a little history in that. Uh, it's only terrible because of John Cusack. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so if so, I, I guess back to the thing: are, are we okay with something like this existing right now? I, I think the most important question you're raising is: what is the risk of this becoming a trend? And how much will we all want to kill ourselves if it becomes a trend? <laughs> um, I, I guess I can answer the second part. I mean, I, I, it's very easy to ignore music, so I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> to kill myself. There's a, I, I, have, I have a great streaming service, RDO. I can always yeah. click to something else. Um, but look. I actually don't have a problem with this existing. I'm okay. not like, burn it, send it away. Like, it's... It's an interesting project for someone like Ryan Adams, who, like you said, is in a space where more power to him, and I totally support this, he does whatever the hell he wants yeah. mm-hmm. because he's got his own studio, he's got money, he's got dedicated fans who will listen to whatever he puts out, mm-hmm. and he's incredibly talented. So it's like, great, do whatever you want. The way he described this was he toured all year on an album that came out last year. He's already got 23 songs in the can right. for a follow-up right. album, and right. he's like, well, here's an album I like that I was playing around with on cassette back in December. And sure, like I'm I'm burned out on my own ideas. I've put all the feels I've got mm-hmm. from my own stuff into music. Let's see what I can do with somebody else's. That's great. But it's variations. It's not like I, I right. think I think that for me it's like I can't believe how many people are treating this like a revelation when really it's Somebody, somebody very talented, doing variations on a theme. Less than a year after after the album came out, it's an it's an oddity. It's musically interesting. It is not profound. I oh crap! I'm gonna agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> this is not good. Um, no, actually, I'm not. Um, so, I mean, first of all, this thing is already iterated. Uh, Father John Misty uh, decided. That he could have his own cynical take on this and be like, basically, you're like, fuck Ryan Adams and Taylor Swift. I'm the only real person here. Uh, <laughs> and if you, he pulled them down, but if you listen to them, uh, they were horrible. They were sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sad because, uh, whereas I think in general, this album 
uh, exudes uh, an enthusiasm and just a, like, hey, we're just doing this. No irony. Uh, this, you know, his take on it uh, exuded um, a, just a meanness and an unhappiness. From Father John Misty? From Father John Misty? No. No. <laughs> no. And, no and, but, the, but that's the thing. I mean, you know, we, you know if there were uh, – I Love You, Honey Bear wasn't a solid album because of this. I mean, this is a problem. Uh, and that's fine. But uh, it, it didn't need to be done. And I know people are like, oh, that's hilarious and stuff. But I mean, you were reading someone's like, he's the funny type of asshole. It's like, right. no, he's just an asshole. Right, right. Like, <laughs> there's some, someone out there has some think piece that, you know, there are two types of assholes and he's the funny kind and the kind that you want on your side. Because, but, because let's uh, be honest, there are like probably a hundred thousand other people trying to upload their own take on Ryan Adams doing this SoundCloud right now who are equally an asshole. Right. <laughs> it's just like, no, you don't get it, man. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, eh. Well, it, it just, it just seems so um, unnecessary for him to troll them because. Right. It, it was trolling. Yeah. I mean, it was literally trolling. Right. So, um, because whatever else you might think about whether this is um, good or whether it's artistically successful, it's not insincere. I mean, there's nothing about it that's kind of cynical. Right. Um, it, it, it does, you know, Ryan Adams does seem to have been, you know, very taken with these songs and he wanted to do it. And Taylor Swift, who has zero obligation to give a shit about this, was involved in the process and gave him feedback. Well, she and had to give supportive. him permission. Like they, right. The, the, right, the rights as, as they sit, like the legal rights, he had to actually apply legally to be able to sell this. Right. He didn't have to apply to be able to play it. He could have gone out and done like a, a t entire tour where he right, played right. this. But to put it on album and record it, she had to approve. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. If it weren't a sales item, would it would some of this conversation kind of go away because it doesn't seem like there's no because it got enough buzz. Yeah. Like it, I, nobody knew it was going to be for sale when it first started buzzing, and I think that it I, I think it became something. That is going to be for sale because it started buzzing. It's the reason that his cover of "Is This It" is buried in his tape box, yeah. instead of being <laughs> right, out making right. him money right now. Yeah, so. which actually though, I, and that is one thing that does weird me out about this because when I heard about it, it was like, oh, this is going to be a cool thing. He'll put it out like something like Chance, you know, it just does right. a mixtape and puts this out, and like it's up there. It's a thing you did. It is a uh, completely like we're being artists. I mean, even like uh, Chance's last mixtape, which is completely like freestyle. Like, there's nothing. And so when I heard it was going for sale, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't begrudge the guy for making money off no, it. No, I, I, I don't. But if was, you've got the buzz and you've got Taylor on your side and she's letting you license it, then more power to you. Make a few bucks off of it because yeah. you're going to put out your next 80 songs are probably going to be things that are only going to go to the fan club. So right. it's also on Spotify, interestingly. Which, which means 1989 that, is not right. Which means that Taylor Swift at some point is going to be getting some royalty checks from Spotify. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, I was honestly shocked too that it wasn't a title exclusive. Right. I was. I was waiting for it. I was like, oh man. And it sort of was an Apple Music exclusive. I mean, they had the interview on Beats One. Um, yeah, I think they had it at midnight when other services didn't. I mean, I know right. for a fact the day after uh, – I mean, I got it on Sunday, and then on Monday about like 10 a.m. it hit audio. Right. So, uh, you know, windowing, I don't know. Let's, um, let's listen to another jam off this. This is uh, something – and we'll talk about this afterwards. Uh, there's a very Springsteenian 
side to this album, uh, which I don't know if it's expected or not, but uh, here is a really good example. This is the first track off the album, actually, Welcome to New York. Welcome to New York. Uh, Ryan Adams doing his best boss impression. I would say doing his the best Ryan Adams since maybe rock and roll. Uh, he had, when he had the uh, the punk spirit inside him when he wanted to do that. Um, you know that that song specifically was for Taylor Swift, uh, meant to be like you know I've upended my life and m- like much on this album. Uh, Adams sort of recontextualizes it into something like different because well, he has his own New York history. So yeah, um, and we don't need to. You know, there's there've been enough think pieces about Taylor Swift and um and and you know the thing about that song though is that it's really kind of um it's definitely one of the lesser songs on the album. It's its only purpose is really kind of like the opening of a musical is to say yeah hey the setting is a little bit different which is sort of how Swift's time. album is, is crafted yeah right right. Um, but 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 that song in Bad Blood, <laughs> Ball, no, which, no. it's one of the only songs on the album I really like. like it's, I'm serious, like that's 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 that might be my favorite song on the album, just because it actually is something different than that seems meaningful, and especially because that song was so terrible on Taylor Swift's album. I mean, it is that song is yeah. just like. Direct. The, new, the New York tourist I... boards like theme song <laughs> on the on the album. I'm like, well, now oh, it is. Great. You know why? Because you sold it yeah, to him. Because it, it's it, but it, it sounds like something meant to play in the background of a commercial. And he gives it at least a little bit of edge, a little bit of grit, a little bit of personality. Like right. it sounds mass pro- like mass produced corporate crap the first time around. And here it's like, oh, okay, this does sound like Springsteen. That's See, uh, Kenny Chesney it up. Is that what you're saying? No. No, he's he, <laughs> it, it, the Springsteen icon. Yeah, comp yeah, is, yeah, is definitely appropriate on yeah. this, but you know that felt meaningful as an interpretation. All right, right. So, uh, Eduardo, you no, were saying. So, so I think the songs that that I like best on the Ryan Adams version of the album are the ones that I think are like Taylor Swift's lesser songs. Yeah. So, like this one, like like Bad Blood, which I think is 
you know, not a, objectively not a good song on an album that's otherwise filled with very competent, shiny, you know, glittery pop. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's sort of, you know, I, I think Ryan Adams managed to fix some of the flow problems with the original album because the production on it is so all over the place right. and, and sometimes fussy and sometimes not. Um, you know, you have a couple of stretches of really good songs that like, um, like Out of the Woods on the original, I think sounds better on the album than it does as a single. Like if you hear it in the context of the album, right, it has right, a different, right, right. it resonates differently. And it's actually the one song I actually do not like in this album. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think, I think he tried to give it that same well, weight, he, he, but like, he, it's just... He went to, Brian Adams has, has a few gears, and one of them is suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, Put it in suck. <laughs> you know, and so that was sort of, yeah. um, uh, it's interesting though, but you know, in talking about that, in, in how they do it, or how he uh, changes this, I mean, there has been a lot of talk about like, you know, this is validating this album and stuff, and, and I would say... It's does, not. Does I it mean, need validation? It, it doesn't need validation, first of all. But here's what it does. I mean, well, actually, Ann, Ann Powers, music critic, was like defending it all day on Twitter. And there were definitely some trolls. There were some concerned trolls. There was every variety of troll uh, getting in on this. And she was having to defend it in weird ways. I mean, the, re the reality of this is, though, that it does recontextualize it for an audience that absolutely would not listen to Taylor Swift. Yes. Which is sort of weird because they're both pop stars. Right. They are. I mean, uh, if you're listening to this and you're still thinking Ryan Adams some, like, alt-country, like, no. Ryan Adams is one of the biggest pop stars in the world. He was married to Mandy Moore. Yes. Right? I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I, I think in doing that, like if you, as long as we acknowledge that you move, it does reveal certain things about this song. I, I I'm with you on bad blood. I mean, all the the video is as epic as it's right, going to get. Right, of course, Kendrick. Uh, but you know, it it comes off as a, uh, um, you know, just a almost like a, a hip hop diss, like in that. And this, um, it, it, I don't know what he adds to it, but it it gives it a little more weight. I do think, um. Also, that where she, the album she made was made by somebody who just does not know the eighties, but knows the eighties from a musical history, and that's fine. And that's and it got pretty close. I mean, that's actually why I enjoy a lot of the album. Um, but Ryan Adams does know the eighties, and a song like this you would hear on the radio, like waking up, like on just the bad radio station. It, it would be a hit, <clears throat> and the every time I hear it, it like. I laugh my ass off because I'm like, <laughs> holy, why are you making this song now? Because if he dropped that in 1989, here's Gus. What's up, buddy? Two podcasts in a row. <laughs> um, if he dropped that in 1989, it would fit in. And so like part of the way I parse this album is trying to figure out like how much he was aware of that or if he was just like, ah, it's just, I'm going to kick it, man. It's, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. To be honest, I do think that there is. Um, it's. Uh, I don't think he intended for it, for it to sound this polished. Like it doesn't sound. Mm. You know, it it sounds fresh. It sounds like they didn't do more than a couple of takes for each song once they figured out how they how they wanted to play each song. But it, it there is there is a, a part of it that that I think to your point, Kevin, would sound kind of fine on like Mix One Hundred Seven Point Three's Morning Commute right. mix or something. 
cool. That's what we should all Which be is... aspiring to. <laughs> are, you, are you sad now, Paul? I'm not sad. I'm just uninterested. Well, I mean, so <laughs> now let's address this other point, which, um, you know, we do not shy away from being harsh here. Uh, this is possibly the best Ryan Adams album since uh, Jacksonville City Nights. It's, you know, for fans of Easy Tiger, uh, first of all, we reviewed the last Ryan Adams album in the podcast. We all came down. Eh. Yeah. Uh, but for fans of like Easy Tiger and, and all that, um, <clears throat> you might say Taylor Swift is a better songwriter. Uh, you know, not well, Taylor Swift and the group that she had helping her write that album. Well, I don't want to go down that that road because everybody an album is collaborative. Okay, so. The- she hired the people that wrote Britney Spears' songs for her to help her write the album. Okay. So, like, there was a corporate sheen to this that didn't exist uh, in her previous albums. I, I will agree with the, the corporate sheen and stuff. But but she's proven herself in the past to be able, uh, very capable. Absolutely. Of, I'm yeah. not saying she, didn't, she hasn't written her songs or that she had nothing to do with this. But I just want to say, like, there's a reason that these songs, for the most part, are not personal stories and are more just like and and can be so easily repurposed because it's not just because it was super popular that people started covering this i mean adele was super popular a few years ago and you didn't see a bunch of people out there covering adele it's because when you when you strip these when you strip this down to the lyrics and the arrangements like these are outlines these are templates. No, I no, I agree. Which well, well, actually, we can yeah. jump, jump right to that though. So, but I guess the reason I didn't want to go down that road is like because, you know, people work with producers, people work with other sure. artists and stuff, and but like like it or not, like Paul uh, Taylor Swift is a genuinely good songwriter. Not saying she isn't. I'm right. saying this particular album had a lot more outside but input I, but on I, the songwriting But I'm giving, I'm giving her the credit of the one who made it. Like possible okay. for these songs to That's fine. be transferred, but this. But when we're talking about the songwriting, more than any of her previous albums, I think it is fair to say this one had outside songwriting okay. input. And she's she's been open about that. She's not claiming like yeah, other yeah, albums. Yeah. She's been like, yeah. I wrote every word of this. This one, she didn't claim that on. So yeah, it's also clearly. I mean, I mean, lyrically, uh, like Red is a much better album than right. 1989. Right. Um, you just broke Paul's brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not arguing no. that point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's but 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 Ryan Adams does seem to be playing at kind of a tempo and in a style that would that would sound like her sound from Red. I mean, it's almost like a country U two mm-hmm. at times or something like an early U two. Country U two. That's um, uh, but that's sort of what Adams' sound devolved into in general. Yeah. I mean, with um, there was there was Heartbreaker. There was uh, what Gold Rock and Roll. Uh, uh, Love is Hell. Love is Hell, which was two EPs, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Cold Roses, where he was right. like, I love the dead. Right, uh, right. Which was fantastic. Uh, and then uh, Jacksonville City Nights was the sort of other byproduct of that. Yeah, I get and, really hazy after, because it's all the numbers. And after like that, three and four it, after that, it got back into this weird pop, like yeah. Easy Tiger being the big thing. Yeah. That, like, it's a specific audience, and that audience, I think, is the same as Taylor Swift's. Um, because he is... Uh, you know, as far as like, let's talk about selling music. You know, he's a good-looking guy. He's a rebel. He's like doing this. He's singing heartfelt songs. Of course, you know, That's, yeah. you know, the market is the ladies. I'm sorry. He, he, yeah, and that was actually, I think, when, when, uh, like, early, soulful bros. Yeah. 
Well, soulful bros, soulful bros are only soulful because they want to get the ladies. <laughs> so, so let's be clear of that. I, I, I'm sorry if I ratted out our gender, like you know, on this podcast, but that's how that works. Um, but uh, yeah, so like again, to have this come up and be in essentially that vein, but the songs actually be something that I'm intrigued by and part of it is i'm wondering if it'll wear off in the next you know week or so where i'm just like yeah whatever yeah today i was distinctly less excited about the album uh compared to yesterday um i think i think to paul's point earlier um you know i uh, hearing the words come out of ryan adams made me realize that maybe 1989 is not so bad lyrically it just has that kind of corporate sheen Mm -hmm. that he was able to take off a little bit and that the songs really do have a little more substance to them than i realized Um, yeah and i say this as someone who really likes 1989 so yeah and and i'll say this you know and obviously coming at it from a different direction since i don't really like 1989 um that i thought the songs that were the most successful on this album were by and large the ones that did have the more generic lyrical templates uh, off of 1989 for me at least well, yeah, for and for me, at least the ones that were the least successful were the ones that largely depended on and on. And Taylor Swift was very good at this, as as other pop stars before and currently have been in leveraging her public persona to make you read something more into the lyrics. And so when you when you hear a song like "Shake It Off" or especially "Blank Space." Like mm. those songs are successful because people know that it's Taylor Swift singing them, and you've got this like you've got this massive backstory already built up right. about what right. her personal life is like and what she's been through and what her history is that you get to like read into it. This is just the next chapter in the story and it's her yeah. commenting on her own story. When those lyrics were repurposed by Ryan Adams, I, to me at least, both of those songs utterly failed because those lyrics do not apply. Like those lyrics <laughs> yeah. only work yeah. Yeah. because it's Taylor Swift singing those lyrics. So, um, yeah. Maybe twenty years from now, I'll feel differently if someone when somebody goes back and digs it up to to cover it. Right, right. But right now, or, no, John Cage oh. already. I mean, it's it's double iterated, so we've we've gone. Yeah, but but <laughs> but it, it takes it takes time for that kind of repurposement. Right now, that's still about. It looks like Godspeed, you Black Emperor just covered it, so that'd be great. Did they? <laughs> I'd listen to that. Um. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I mean, I feel like finally I, hit my sweet spot with actually, one of like, fake so, so blank space works for me partially because, and, and this is also a weird thing. As a Ryan Adams fan, I um, and I and I am a fan of Ryan Adams, even though he shoves the photographers to the back of the uh, soundboard. You know that's not cool, but uh, I hear something like blank spaces, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's not. I don't want to hear that song. I'm always going to go back to something off Heartbreaker, or actually Jacksonville City Nights, uh, for something like that. But I'm like, it sounds like the Ryan Adams that I sounds like, but not, but but he's that, not, no that I that I miss that now he doesn't. Yeah, but he's not. He's not talking about his own life. That's why you're going back because you're like, I want to hear something. That, well, what songwriter is like? Well, I mean, that's a presumption. Maybe, but. It might maybe it's a presumption that's sometimes accurate and sometimes it's a useful fiction. But Mm -hmm. when you're at least for me, when I'm trying to get something out out of the music, if I'm constantly thinking like this feels contrived because I know that this is what somebody else wrote about their own life and it depended on you know the context of their life, and you are so quickly just saying, "Oh, I'm going to put a different sheen on it." 
that's not that's not meaningful. It's interesting because you're seeing so somebody can do something different. There's no. So, there's so you no, don't think Ryan Adams can have quick feels? There's no deeper meaning to it, right there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams' real feels are on those 23 songs that he's going to release later this year, or early next yeah. year. Huh. They're all probably about a video game. Um, That's you, oh, he's you a, writing your epic ode to the Taken King. <laughs> <laughs> God damn! No. Four bass basses in the background. I, 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 I can do it. Uh, I can do it third stage theory style. Yeah, it just needs no. Just needs the doof warrior on backup. Yeah, and you're good to go. <laughs> uh, that said, I think we're <laughs> we're running out on this. Um, I want to. I want it to be a surprise. So, Eduardo, what are you going to do with this? I'm gonna. I'm gonna buy. Are you gonna buy it? Yeah, I'm gonna buy. All right. Um, I I too am I'm actually going to I'm gonna buy the shit out of this. I <laughs> no, I I you know, we, we've talked about all the potential problems with the album. We've talked about uh we we've talked the shit out of this album and at the end of the day I put it on and I just fucking love it. I, it's not going in my top ten because it's I think it's a cop out like for that. But it is right. like I'm like, yes, I will listen to this album a lot. Uh Paul, what are you doing? Giving it a low stream. Oh, I think so. You're not streaming on a title. You're streaming on one of those low bit rate, like <laughs> yeah, second rate. I want it to sound tanks. as bad as possible. No, um, <laughs> I will not pay for the HD streaming, Lynn Butler. Um, but I, I, look, I think it's worth listening to because I think Ryan Adams does do some interesting things here. And frankly, this has reached the point where it's worth listening to just so that when somebody inevitably talk, starts talking to you about it, you at least have an opinion. And when you say, I think that it mostly sucks, you at least know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, good last words. All right. Ryan Adams, 1989. I still too late. Nothing in my brain That's what people say That's what people say I go on too many days I can make them stay That's what people say That's what people say I keep cruising Can't stop, won't stop Alright, so uh, Dave Rawlings Machine Ryan Adams, 1989 uh, I, I think we always say this Or maybe we don't Maybe we're going to start saying this uh, I'm sure you enjoyed listening to us Talk about this for an hour But you really don't have to listen to us I mean, we're going to have links in the show notes Listen to it yourself Draw your own conclusion uh, And honestly, if you feel really strongly About your conclusions And ever want to... Uh, Come talk about it and you know, hit us up, man. It's like this is how Patrick, this is how Eduardo ended up here. Set. This is how this happens. Um, as always, we we try to end every podcast with featuring a, a track we like. Sometimes it is smaller, uh, a local band. Uh, sometimes it might even be some Gus core. You know, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> um, this week is it's a guy who who he's playing in DC uh, this Friday. Uh, before landmark, uh, and uh, and he might actually be down here on, in the basement of the mics. Well, we have to work that out. Uh, but I'm talking about Phil Cook. Uh, he just had a triumphant album release at uh, Hopscotch for his new album Southland Mission. I think it's his second solo album. Uh, Phil is is 
one part of Megafon. Uh, he has been circling the uh, Bonnie Vare universe. He's you know from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, now in North Carolina. Uh, also in one of my favorite albums of the last couple of years, Shouting Matches, which was him and Justin Vernon, and and, and I forget the other guy, which I'm sure, and Paul's grimacing. But at any rate, it was a great album, Paul. You should have listened to it. Um, his new album is very much... Uh, it's just, it's sort of joyous. So rather than even talk about it, because like I said, we might be talking to him, and if not, we're probably going to be talking about this album. Uh, I want to play a song off this. So here we go. This is Ain't It Sweet off of uh, Phil Cook's Southland Mission.
right, that is uh, Ain't It Sweet, Phil Cook, the name of the album is Southland Mission. Uh, go out and stream it, buy it, put it in your ears now. He'll be at DC9 uh, if you're listening to this the week of release. Uh, this Friday, right before the Landmark Festival, which I actually didn't mention, uh, which if you see me out there, uh, I will be sweating and dying because I'm basically going to uh, walk a marathon <laughs> over two days. Um Thank you guys for uh, coming down, Eduardo. Number two in the can. Thank you, awesome. Paul, as usual. And, and Paul, I, I know this is a little painful for you. I promise we won't have to le- relive it until Sleater Kenny covers 1989. And then I guarantee you the worm will turn and we will be on opposite sides. It's possible. Yeah. So, uh, as, as always, uh, like we said up front, uh, vibes to Patrick and his wife and his family for uh, their loss. Uh, be good to your ears, people. Be better to your people. We'll talk to you in about seven days. Kenobi! <laughs> 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 <laughs>